Lubel McDoobie. Welcome to Rolling for Recipes, the weekly, really random, reality, cookbook and recipe review show. I'm here to inspire, entertain, and encourage home cooks of all levels. So, if your cooking could use the warm, funny, guiding hand of a real-life grandma, that would be me, Bluebell McDoobie. Join me here each week, rolling for recipes. All right, let's get started. your favorite home cook, wink, wink. Well, let's start out with just, I wanted to let you know in case you didn't notice that I sadly was not able to upload my episode on Friday, Apple, April, Apple, April, April 22nd due to misfortune with my laptop on my way to paradise. So I'm getting caught up now and I plan on adding an extra episode this week just to get caught up. Having lots of fun getting back into the action here at Rolling for Recipes, and I'm excited to share episode number six with you today. So welcome, sit back, relax, and get ready to hear all about the heritage of Italian cooking by Lorenza De Medici. start off as always with the McDoobie recipe review. If you're following me on Instagram, you've been watching me struggle to get back into cooking since I returned from paradise and I ended up spending quite a bit of time in the kitchen. Very happily spending time in the kitchen, I might add. I had a great time making the salt crackers from this cookbook, The Heritage of Italian Cooking by Lorenzo De Medici from 1990. The salt crackers were really fun to make. I read in the book that it was a very old recipe. They did not say how old. Very old recipe and it was discovered by a baker named Bianchi. I have a soft spot in my heart for that name Bianchi. I had a beautiful bike at Bianchi a while ago, which I no longer have sadly, but this recipe was discovered by a baker named Bianchi in the Chianti region of Italy. I made the dough as prescribed in the recipe and it came out very dry and crumbly. So I needed to add some more water to it so I could knead it, get it into a smooth ball to rise for until it was doubled. And it was super simple, very simple. Some wheat flour, regular white flour, beautiful amount of yeast. I think it was two tablespoons of yeast and salt and olive oil and water. It's very simple. And I have to say that I've never made a cracker before. I've seen Mr. McDoobie make cheese coins tons of times. Um, I just have never done it. And I had a really good time after the, the dough doubled in bulk. I rolled it out to a quarter inch thickness. Now I'm not positive that mine were rolled out to be a quarter of an inch thick, but they, they seemed about right. The fun part for me was pricking the little holes in each little square to make, it looks like a saltine cracker. Uh, it was just fun. It was just kind of like a Play-Doh experiment. The recipe was very brief. 
in the instructions. And it just said to roll out the dough, score it to make squares, and then prick it with the with fork, and then you bake it. It did not say what to bake it on. Of course, I just assumed a cookie sheet. But I found it helpful to just go ahead and put the whole slab of dough onto the cookie sheet before I scored it and pricked it with a knife or with a fork before I put it in the oven. So that's what I did. So I baked the crackers and let them cool and really enjoyed their delicate wheat flavor. Um, they're not nearly as crispy as a store-bought cracker, of course. I did brush them with olive oil with some rosemary chopped up in it. I think next time I would just go ahead and put the chopped up rosemary into the cracker dough. So this is a recipe that, it's, that I can build on, which is something I really like to find, all of us do, uh, at McDoobie Mansion. It's not really a mansion. You probably figured that out, right? <laughs> we all like to find like recipes that we can then build on. And this cracker recipe is just that. It's just a simple, super simple, very basic, almost like a, a blank canvas to paint on. So I think that was a keeper, really like that. Well, because I was on fire, I was just on fire in the kitchen and that recipe was so easy, I decided to make a second recipe out of the heritage of Italian cooking. And I saw this recipe for polenta noci with sage and butter sauce. Well, it looked really straightforward, very simple. Another simple recipe and I thought, I've got a beautiful bunch of sage in the refrigerator. I think I should give this a go. Well, let me tell you something. I was humbled by the noci, by the cornmeal, by the process of making cornmeal into noci. Oh, let me tell you, my arm was aching, my hands were aching, my hands were feeling my age, the arthritis that is gripping my hands as I had to manhandle this pot of yellow goo, stirring it every second of 30 minutes. I thought my arm might fall off. But more, I thought my hand was going to cramp up. I now have a new respect for anyone who has made nochi successfully. Super simple recipe, but geez, it was a lot of work, a lot of stirring. It reminded me of when I tried to make risotto and I had to go take a nap halfway through and have Big Papa McDoobie take over all that stirring. I don't know what it is about stirring, but man, it was rough. Essentially, it's cornmeal that you sprinkle into boiling water, and then you gotta stir it. If you don't stir it, it'll get scorched. So I stirred and I stirred and I stirred and I, I didn't think I was gonna make it, but I did. And I then discovered that shaping nochi is incredibly hard. <laughs> and my nochi didn't look anything like the picture. You were to take a tablespoon dip it into cold water and try to make like an egg shape out of the polenta. Well, I did read in the book that polenta, which was corn, cornmeal, was brought to Europe by Christopher Columbus in the 15th century and it was considered poor people food. And shaping it into nochi was one of the few ways of making it acceptable to the old aristocratic families. So I failed making it look fancy. However, I will tell you that the nochi, the texture, 
came out to be very fluffy. And I'm guessing it was because I aggressively stirred it for 30 minutes. It was very fluffy. The fried sage and butter poured on top. Oh my gosh, that's always a delicious combination. However, if I were to make this again, and this is very similar to the salt crackers, it becomes a just a blank canvas to decorate in any way that you like. This nochi, this polenta nochi, could definitely handle like a red wine porcini mushroom sauce, I'm thinking, and lots of it. Like it just didn't have enough sauce and there was no salt in the recipe other than just in the salted water that you, that you put the cornmeal into. I realized that as I was making it and I was very tempted to add some seasoning, but I didn't because like I've mentioned before, I do like to try recipes as they are as best I can my first time that I make them. When I make this again, I would put some powdered sage into the cornmeal in addition to frying the fresh sage, which is absolutely one of my favorite things. Sage and butter, brown butter sauce. It's so good. I just thought they were just like a very rice-like or just a, a, it didn't have a lot of flavor going on on its own, but it's something like tofu or rice or potatoes that you can dress up and make into something else. So I love learning about polenta in general and being very humbled about making nochi. It was not easy and I learned a lot about it. It was it was interesting to me to make that cornmeal because my mother used to make us what we called cornmeal mush to eat for breakfast. Shame on me, I did not appreciate it back then. Nowadays I would. And I now wonder how much she had to stir it to, to make us that cornmeal mush back in the day. Anyways, it was a fun learning experience and I did enjoy the, especially the texture of these notes and learning about nochi. That's one of the things about this book that I'll mention later on is that, that it's just as much an art and history book as it is a cookbook. Really enjoyed learning about nochi and polenta. And man, those Italian ladies have my respect. They must have some, they could probably beat me in an arm wrestling fight. Time for random chef facts. As you know, this is a really random reality cookbook and recipe review show. So our chef facts are also incredibly random. Today, I have prepared some notes on a chef that has nothing to do with Italian cooking or even, even a current book of the week. However, she is one of my favorite chefs. Her name is Madhur Joffrey, M-A-D-H-U-R, Madhur Joffrey, and she's now 88 years old. She was born in India to a well-to-do family. She was the fifth of six children. This woman, Madhur Joffrey, she's written over a dozen cookbooks. We own probably three or four of them. She's by far my favorite Indian cook. Her, her recipes are so user-friendly and they are just like every other cookbook. You do have to cook things, you know, a different amount of time sometimes, but her recipes are extremely easy to follow. 
this woman is so accomplished. She's, besides writing over a dozen cookbooks, she's appeared on several related television shows. The most notable one was Modern Joffrey's Indian Cookery, which premiered in the UK in 1982. She's a James Beard Foundation Award winner. She's won many other international awards, plus just tons of awards. She's award-winning. She's also an actress. In the 60s, she was known as the actress who could cook. In 2004, she became an honorary commander of the Order of the British Empire in recognition of her services to cultural relations between the UK, India, and the US. Isn't that amazing? Ironically, she did not cook at all growing up. She didn't learn to cook until she was about 19 when she moved to London to go to school. And she used to correspond with her mother. And she obtained a lot of written recipes from her mom. And because of that, when she went to get her very first cookbook published in 1973, the woman who published her book, her name was Judith Jones, and she was also the publisher who championed Julia Child's cookbook, and we'll talk about her another time. But she referred to Modern Joffrey as the perfect cookbook author because she learned to cook from written recipes. So that didn't take a whole lot of editing to get the recipes down. Oh, that was really neat. I had not thought of that angle before. She's regarded by many as the world authority on Indian food. And as I was researching her today, I, I went a little bit deeper than just looking at Wikipedia. And I found out that she has written an autobiography she lived in India during the time of Mahatma Gandhi and witnessed a lot of that history taking place. So I am definitely going to look for her autobiography. It's called Climbing the Mango Trees. And I just want to read to you this little, this little bit that I saw on the Penguin Publishers website. It says, I was born in a sprawling house by the Yamuna River in Delhi. When I was a few minutes old, grandmother welcomed me into the world by writing Om, which means I am in Sanskrit, on my tongue with a little finger dipped in honey. When the family priest arrived to drop my horoscope, he scribbled astrological symbols on a long scroll and set down a name for me, Indrani, or Queen of the Heavens. My father ignored him completely and proclaimed my name was to be Madhur, sweet as honey. I think that's so cool. I wish that some holy person had come and written down my name like that on a scroll. How neat. So depths of more to discover about Ms. Madhur Joffrey. And I hope that if you are collecting books or just paying attention to books when you're out and about, I hope that if you see one of hers, you go ahead and pick it up and dive into Indian cooking. I, I will definitely be doing a podcast episode about that. It's one of my favorite things to cook, uh, anything Indian love that food. And it was really fun to learn about Miss Modern Joffrey. 
And I know there's so much more about her, but that's what we have time for. All right, time for the book of the week review for week number 33. And that book was The Heritage of Italian Cooking by Lorenza de Medici. And this book was released in 1990. Like I mentioned in the last episode when I introduced this book, it is oversized. I think it's about 11 by 14, maybe even a little larger than that. It's a beautiful coffee table book of the type that I think they used to be popular. I don't know if people still use them, but it's a, it is a beautiful book. It's got many pages of full color plates of art from the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries, beautiful food photographs, lots of historical content. And I, when I introduced this book, I did mention that I felt that it is just as much a art and history book as it is a cookbook. My review of this book is that it's beautiful and that it is fun to read all the different history tidbits. And I'm an art buff, so I loved looking through this book. It was gorgeous. The recipes are very brief. They are not overly descriptive on how to make each of the items. It was fun to read because each recipe would have some little historical or relevant relevant information about the dish, which I, I, I always appreciate that in a book. I did find out that it's worth about $30 to $50 for this older cookbook on Amazon assumed it was worth a couple of dollars, but no, it's actually worth between 30 and 50 bucks. So there you go. I found it odd that there were no recipes for any handmade pasta. When I knew that we had an Italian heritage of Italian cookbook to work out of this time, I had assumed that that was going to be what I was going to try to make because it's been on my mind to try to make the homemade pasta. And but they didn't have that. I thought that was funny. The person who wrote the book, her name is Lorenza de Medici, and she's now 96 years old. Her up just briefly, I wasn't going to do a random chef facts on her, but just wanted to mention that she used to own a cooking school, and she also wrote Italy, the beautiful cookbook. The thing about this cookbook that kind of gave me a kick was that several in several places in the book, they have like 15th century directions for some of the dishes. And it's just fascinating. I wanted to read you one about making this massive egg the size of the head of a man. I was like, oh my goodness. An egg as big as the head of a man may be made in this manner. Separate the yolks from the whites of 25 eggs and beat the yolks well with a whisk, one at a time. The well-beaten yolks are put into a pig's bladder the bladder is sealed and immersed in a boiler full of boiling water until the yolks are quite firm. This great hard-boiled yolk is then removed from the bladder and placed in another much larger one, which already contains the stiffly beaten whites of the eggs. And this is then sealed, taking care that the yolk is well covered by the whites. The bladder is tied up with string and dangled in the boiling water until the egg white hardens. 
then this last bladder is also removed, leaving a huge hard-boiled egg. That is hilarious to me. What were they thinking back then? Didn't they have enough to do already with working in the kitchen, but to have to make a massive hard-boiled egg like that? I actually kind of want to do that. <laughs> Now it is time for what is quickly becoming one of my favorite segments here on Rolling for Recipes, and it's Bluebell's favorite kitchen things. I don't know if I'll run out of things to talk about for this section. If I do, I'll just think of something else. But for this week, I wanted to share with you something that I truly do love in the kitchen, something that I researched heavily back in 2020 prior to the pandemic I became very interested in learning how to make sourdough bread from scratch before it was you know the pandemic thing to do I was diving into learning how to bake sourdough bread and I know from talking to my sister who you know from a previous episode if you listen to it that she is an excellent baker and she'd been making sourdough bread for quite some time and told me that she baked hers in a Dutch oven. I can sometimes be a bit of an anal researcher before I buy something. And so I went down the rabbit hole with all the different types of Le Creuset and all the other brands out there, Emeralds and Rachel Ray's, all the different kinds of enameled cast iron Dutch oven pots. If you don't know what that is, it's a very heavy, probably 13 to 15 pound pot. And the reason that you do it that way is that sourdough bread comes out better if steam develops while it's baking. So if you have it covered in this very heavy cast iron pot, it will develop steam. So I did tons of reading, checking on Amazon. I read bunches of reviews. And of course, I loved the really pretty enameled cast iron wear that you can buy in literally any color. But a lot of the reviews just overwhelmingly mentioned that this stuff chips off after a while. And I really wanted to buy something of heirloom quality that I can hopefully pass down to someone else, hopefully my family who might want to keep using it because seriously, guys, cast iron is just about indestructible as long as you clean it and dry it properly and don't let it rust. So after all of my anal research, I ended up buying the Lodge cast iron double Dutch oven. And right now it's about, I checked on Amazon, it's about $50. It's usually 75, so it's 33% off. And I love mine. The lid doubles as a 10 and a half inch skillet. The Lodge cast iron is American made. It's been being made here in America for over a hundred years. Company was started in 1896 and they have two foundries in Tennessee. It is heirloom quality and it's a joy to use. I use it for way more than just uh, baking my bread. I use it, I use the lid. I just used the lid recently to saute my sage for the polenta, the nochi that I made with the sage butter sauce. 
I obviously I do use the double dutch oven when I make my bread. I put that pan in the oven and crank it up to 500. You're supposed to let the pan heat up for almost an hour before you put your dough in. That's how smoking hot this thing gets. But anyway, I highly recommend this. You will get an arm workout, hopefully to help you stir nochi or risotto someday if you ever decide to make it. But seriously, I, I cannot say enough good things about my double dutch oven, they call it. It's really just a stock pot that can also go in the oven. And it's good for everything. I, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna leave it with that. If you wanna take check it out, please do so. You can buy these used even. Sometimes you can find them in thrift stores. Although at my local thrift store, I have seen that the cost of a used cast iron pan is almost as much as a brand new one. I'll have information available on my website soon, I hope, about all of my favorite things. And I'll include instructions on how I take care of mine. It's not hard. It just takes a little bit of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Commitment. So there you go. That's Lou Bell's favorite thing of the week. Now it is time for the rolling results, the book of the week that we rolled for this past Sunday. And as you probably know, I was out of town. I keep mentioning that. And my McDoobie mansion menfolk let me down, but that's okay. This is my thing, you know. The podcast is my deal, and any help or contributions that they make is just really a bonus for me. So we're behind a week, and we are now on week number 34 for us McDoobies, anyway. That's how many weeks we have been rolling for recipes. It just it astounds me. And Junior McDoobie, like I believe I've probably said before, is really insists that we roll for a book every week. They did not do that while I was in Hawaii. So we're making up for some lost time. And we did roll for two books on Sunday. I like to be very transparent here on the Rolling for Recipes podcast. It is a reality show. So I am not going to pretend with you that everything is always synchronized perfectly. It's not. We're just a family of regular people playing a goofy game and I'm doing my darndest to share it with you in some kind of meaningful way that I hope you're enjoying. So without further ado, week number 34, this was my turn to roll and I rolled for section number 10, book three, and it was San Francisco Encore by the Junior League of San Francisco. This is a book that is one of our favorite types. It's a compilation book. That means that there are many, many different types of foods portrayed in this cookbook. And I had to do a little bit of research on what the Junior League even is. And I found out that that particular chapter, the Junior League of San Francisco, is now in their 110th year. I didn't know much about what the Junior League is, so I just did a little bit of quick research that I'll share with you. The entirety of the Junior League organization was developed back in 1901 by very well-heeled debutantes. 
I'll talk more about the Junior League next episode when we talk about this book, but just briefly, it's an organization that the purpose is promoting volunteerism, developing the potential of women, and improving the community, exclusively educational and charitable. I do know that historically it's been one that was the realm of very well-to-do pearl-clutching women. That's an old stereotype, and I plan to do some more reading before the next episode on this. The San Francisco chapter who put out this cookbook so many years ago, the focus area of that chapter is advancing the social and emotional well-being of youth and elderly in San Francisco. This is one of those extremely easy books to cook out of because it's just a huge collection of all of these women in the Junior League. It's all of their recipes that they've compiled. And apparently the Junior League is very well known for making noteworthy cookbooks put together by their members, usually for fundraisers. This book uh, was greeted with yays from everybody because we know that it'll be super easy to find something for that book, which I will be talking about in episode number seven. So that's the book of the week for week number 34, San Francisco Encore from the Junior League of San Francisco. So tune into episode seven to find out how that all went down. Feel free to stay tuned for some after the episode bonus content with me talking very candidly about my experiences making a podcast from scratch. Ta-da! That wraps up another episode of Rolling for Recipes. Don't forget to follow Rolling for Recipes on Instagram. And also, you can email me at lubell, that's L-U-B-E-L-L-E, at rollingforrecipes.com. You can also go to my website, rollingforrecipes.com, and subscribe. I promise, it's a spam-free zone. Ta-ta for now. Bluebell McDoobie, signing out. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for sticking around after the regular episode for this bonus content of Behind the Scenes at Rolling for Recipes. I wanted to share with you what happened in Hawaii and how all my plans were thwarted, but how it all worked out okay anyway. I planned on recording a special bonus episode while I was in Hawaii. Not only was it Earth Day and I was in Hawaii, it was also my birthday, and I thought it'd be really fun to record some kind of special content while I was on island in that beautiful paradise and just to see you know what kind of different content I could come up with while I was there under that magical spell of the islands. I don't know if you've ever been there or not but it really does have that aloha feeling a lot of the places that you go and the people that you meet. Well what happened was I traveled there and somehow I don't know how, but 
the screen of my laptop was cracked. And I discovered that probably two, two days into the trip when I was going to goof around with some photos that I took of my sister. I was in Hawaii with her and I took some fun, goofy photos of her and I was going to check them out on my laptop and I discovered it was broken. Yes, I cried. My laptop is not great, but it is my laptop and it's what I use to do all of this stuff I'm trying to do to reinvent myself on. So it was a, it was a blow. And I was also very excited about doing the bonus episode in Hawaii. I saw the screen was cracked. I cried. I was upset. I went for a walk. I woke up the next morning, which was Friday, my birthday. And I wasn't going to tell my sister. I just didn't want to lay anything on her, but I couldn't help it. I burst into tears as soon as I saw her and had a good cry and then got over it immediately. Just said, you know what? I can't do anything about it until I get home. I'm not going to go running around the island trying to get my screen fixed. And I'm just going to pack it up and just put it away to fate that I was intended to come to this island and do something else besides record a Rolling for Recipes episode. So that is what I did. That day, my sister drove us around the island and I ate a delicious Italian cherry turnover in Waimea. We were on the big island and that cherry turnover, man, that turned that frown upside down. Seriously though, I really did get over it and I was very proud of myself for not letting this tragedy, not really, is it really a tragedy in the big scheme of things? It's, it's really not. Compared to all the other things that happened to people, it was just a small inconvenience. Seriously, it did not happen in Hawaii. No extra episode. There you go. That's what happened there. I am back in town now, and for the time being, I am not going to be getting that screen fixed. I do not have the budget for computer repair right now, and I am just feeling very grateful that the computer itself still works and I'm able to use an external monitor. What that has done is made it so I'm not mobile anymore. I had found some good success in recording in my garage, in my car, but that's not going to work with having to haul the external screen down. I mean, I, just, I need a plug, etc. So I tried making a goofy little homemade sound booth in my bedroom out of some cardboard and some blankets. That did not go very well. And then I decided to move the car out of the garage, set myself up a janky little station, and that's what I'm doing. So I'm in the garage without being in the car, and I think the sound quality is okay. It's probably just as good as it was in the car. It is dark, but I at least have the light from the external monitor to read my notes by. Still feeling very positive about everything. It's been, by the time you hear this, it will have been a little over a month since I released the first real episode of Rolling for Recipes, and I am loving it especially now that I'm getting more comfortable talking to you and I've learned a little bit more about editing. I'm getting a little fancier with my adding in the breaks of the music. 
in between the segments. And this time for this episode and for this bonus content, I am trying something new and that is that I am recording in segments instead of trying to talk and get it all in one take. And I think that's because I'm just more comfortable with the editing process on the Audacity software that I'm using, that free open source software. If you've ever wanted to goof around with music or singing or recording a podcast or recording your kids or anything, your dogs, I was going to record the ocean. That was one of the things I was going to do in Hawaii, but I couldn't because I couldn't use my laptop. But that free Audacity program, I love it. I'm actually really glad that I had to teach myself how to use it and I didn't rely on the premium packages that are offered by many of the podcast hosting platforms where they will edit for you. Um, I'm actually really glad I learned how to do it myself. It's a, it's a very neat. In fact, my grandchildren are coming to visit. I'm so excited about that. And I'm hoping to let them play with this a little bit. I love to introduce kids to technology. Obviously, they're really good at it intrinsically anyway. But I, I'm hoping to play with the kids with this Audacity program when they're here. Other than that, behind the scenes at Rolling for Recipes, since I got back from my vacation in paradise, I have been working on improving the website. I'm always working on that. I enjoy it. I have been adding more photos. And I think I have six, maybe six of the books of the week up now. I, I plan on getting as many even of the old past books that you don't know about yet, I'm going to add those to the website and what we cooked out of each one. If you recall from this last episode that I had the bonus content in, which was episode four, I didn't do any bonus content for five. In episode four, I was mentioning that I was working on YouTube and that I started Twitter and TikTok and blah, blah, blah. Well, I have since canceled the Twitter account out of frustration. I was at one point able to share a soundbite directly from Sounder, which is the hosting platform that I use. I use the free version. And I was able to put out there on the Twitter sphere just a soundbite. And when I tried to do it for episode four, and for five, I was told, oh, no, you don't have permission to do this. We think you're spamming people. And I'm like, I've got two tweets. How am I spamming people? So I just got really frustrated with it. And it's just not my natural home. Instagram is really my natural place to reside. So I deleted that account. I'm still posting to TikTok, although I find it a little annoying. Of course, because I'm announcing on TikTok that I'm a grandma, my feed is full of other women my age doing goofy stuff like I am. And it's it's encouraging. I, I'm glad that other women in their menopausal years like me are trying to find ways to express themselves. It may not be exactly the way that I would like to do it, but I'm I'm glad to see that women of my generation are just going for it, man. Why not? What do we got to lose at this point? As far as YouTube goes, I have managed to upload just one very short clip 
that I've also already used on Instagram. I was just trying to try to use it as a test just to see how it worked. I have found that some of the back end of Apple products and the Google products are especially time consuming, very powerful tools, but more time consuming than others. My favorite back end item or program or tool would be the Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E, that I use on my Instagram pages as links. It's just a one shot click to get to another screen that has the links to all my, all my stuff. And that program, if you are a creator, I highly recommend Linktree. Super easy to use. Love that program. Okay. So I think that does it. Is that everything I've done lately? I think so. My plan is to keep going. I keep thinking of new ideas all the time. I need to circle back to some of the ideas I've come up with and not followed through on. I was talking with my sister just this morning and she was like, what if people want to play along, but not in the way that I'd mentioned before, which was try to find the same book, which a lot of times they're 20, 25, 30, 35 year old books. So probably not, not very practical. I think that I need to develop an app. We'll see if I manage to do that or not. Anyways, thank you again so much for all of your support, for listening to the podcast, for following me on Instagram, for subscribing on rollingforrecipes.com, and hopefully recommending the podcast, my webpage and Instagram pages to anyone that you think could use a little something like me in their lives. So I am thoroughly enjoying everything I'm doing. And I think that that is the most important thing to enjoy what you're doing. God, I just, after all these years of working hard, working diligently at a career, especially the, the last one I was in, it was hard. It was hard work. I, I knew that I was doing valuable work that helped other people. But dear Lord, it, it was just a grind. And to have this luxury of some time just to see what I'm capable of doing on my own is the greatest gift I've ever given to myself. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to me. It means the world to me. Ta-ta for now. Lou Bell McDoobie, signing out.